I'm watching my figure for my new boyfriend. New boyfriend? Wow, that's news. I'll say. What's his name, Jam? His name? It's George. George what? Georgia. Tropicana. What a nice name. Is he Cuban? No, I mean, Glass. George Glass. That's funny. I've never heard of a George Glass at our school. That's because he's a transfer student. He came in the last week of school. He's really good looking, and he thinks I'm super cool. Sure, Jan. Hello, friends and enemies. Uh, welcome to another episode of Revenge of the 90s. I am Steve. With me, as always, is Fabs. Here's a story about a man named Brady. I don't know. Actually, was that what it is? <laughs> is that I, how that starts? I, I think a lovely, lady, a lovely lady. A lovely lady, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know the beginning. I don't even know the song. <laughs> I tuned that out. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Dude, let me just let's that will go that will tell you how little I knew or cared about the Brady Bunch. <laughs> oh um God. shit. Okay, anyway. Yeah, welcome to this episode. I don't know. We're doing um we're doing um a very Brady sequel from 1996. <laughs> okay, so this one's off the rails uh less than a minute in, so that's nice. <laughs> it's late when I'm recording this. I don't know what the hell is going on. So if this is the first time you're you're listening to this podcast, whoops. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Pick a different one. Investors are like, okay, we'll listen to one episode. Oh, I love Shelly Long. This is a Brady sequel. Oh, they must. They're doing the Brady, a very Brady sequel. They must love the show and the movies. Obviously, they would know the theme song lyrics. I'm sure they went about it with a bunch of reverence toward the uh, the original content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which actually this movie has way more reverence to the original content than I would have thought. I had no yeah. idea that there were like there was that much of like a through line. But yeah, so uh can you sing the song? Do you know the song? Uh it's Here's a Story of a, lovely, a lovely Lady and three very lovely, lovely girls. They were uh they were four people living all together. Uh the youngest one in curls. And then here's a story of a man named Brady, and he was. Oh, raising- okay. So I skipped a bunch, but so I, I kind of got it. Yeah, you kind of got there. Well, I got the yeah. second. I got the second verse. Yeah, you got. Yeah, you started with the second verse. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Fuck it. Let's go right to the second verse. It's <laughs> sick that you know that whole song, dude. Okay, so like I, I used to watch um, the Brady Bunch. There was I don't even know what network it was. It, it couldn't have been Nick at Night. It they were on at Nick at night. They were on Nick at night at, at one point, but it was I would go over to my grandma's house uh, during the day during the summer when I was I I don't know like I want to say like six years old, and she didn't have like a very extensive cable package, so I don't think she had like a Nickelodeon channel. But I remember like one channel had like Flipper and like the Brady Bunch on during the day. <laughs> and this, was like, yeah, this was like early nineties syndication, uh, middle of the summer. And I was just like, it was like my, my grandma, a very Catholic woman. Uh, so that was super wholesome. So like that was okay to watch for her as I would eat her bacon sandwiches that she made me and become the <laughs> rotund six and seven year old that people grew to love and make fun of. Um, oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, I watched a lot of the Brady Bunch for some reason. I re in preparation for this podcast, I rewatched like an episode and I got like five minutes in. And I just like couldn't. It's such shit. <laughs> See, that's so bad. I can't honestly like. I don't remember the last time I watched any of the original Brady Bunch. Like it, it's, I, it was never one that really like was ever in my viewing as a kid. I I never really had like a reason to. Like my grandma never cared what we watched. So usually when I went to her house, I was watching like. Children of the Corn for some reason. I remember specifically watching that movie on loop because my parent, my grandparents actually owned a uh, video rental store um, oh. in the in the nineties, 
And like, they didn't give a fuck what we watched. So like I was, my sister and I were just like sitting on the couch at my grandma's apartment watching children of the corn, I think like three. So it was like not even a good one, but (laughs) so like the Brady Bunch was never even like a possibility. And I've seen like bits and pieces of it over the years, but like, I, like you're saying, I like, I imagine if I were to be like, well, cool, let me just go back and like, look at this old piece of like TV hit this relic from TV history. I I wouldn't make it past like the credits. I'd be like, this is hot shit. Yeah. It was definitely like very much of its time. Uh, the humor was very much of its time, but it's not just like not good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not yeah, even like it's, it's not very funny. It's I mean, it's it's a it, it's basically like the Full House of of that era, like where right. it's wholesome family. You can watch it with your kids. Um, there's a couple of like semi, I guess we'd call them jokes now, but I don't. They weren't really funny back then, and they're not funny now for sure. But it, it's re- actually. It is really good. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, I never watched the the parody movies in the 90s, um, the Brady Bunch movie and the Very Brady sequel, check out a couple of episodes first and then watch the movies because they do such a good job of carrying over storylines. And we'll get into this from the show, like some of the big ones, the famous storylines from the show that I kind of, my brain was misremembering and I was like, misremembering what the original cast looked like and I was replacing them with cast members from these movies. Oh dude, like Peter looks like I was like he has he looks like one of the actors that was in the original Brady Bunch. Like the casting for this for these movies is insane. And I would say this is that I think for people our age, it's going to get harder and harder for people to like care about I feel like these movies as time goes on because like you and I growing up we knew the Brady Bunch because I still felt like it was a real big piece of pop culture and it wasn't mm-hmm. like as far removed to where like on Nick at night or whatever, or it was parodied on the Simpsons or what or wherever, you know, it was still a part of pop culture. So like we knew the Brady Bunch so when these movies came out, it was funny because we were like, Oh, okay. Like we know the humor and we know the, the vibe and the gist that they're going for. Uh, but it is going to be harder for generations kind of like, like who, what kid now is going to be like, I don't give a fuck about this. But yeah. I would say to your point, you're looking for like, if you're somebody who has no entry into the Brady Bunch, watch a few episodes and then watch these movies and you'll appreciate them even more. And yeah. this was uh, a very Brady sequel was your pick. And at first I was, I was like initially not reluctant, but I was like, well, should we do, should we do like the original first? Should we do the first movie instead of the sequel? And then I realized as I started watching the sequel, all like, and again, I was misremembering things. Everything I loved about the Brady Bunch movies essentially is all in this movie. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's crazy. The the very Brady Bunch sequel is, or a very Brady sequel is vastly superior to the first movie. Yeah, it is. I, I watched both of them. So my, and I think uh, what you were talking about earlier, our kids aren't going to care about the Brady Bunch because we didn't grow up on it. Like it wasn't a big show for us. My dad and mom, like the reason I watched uh, the the Brady movie and a uh, very Brady sequel, that was like one of their family. They both had big families. That was one of the things they were all able to watch together growing up. So they had a huge appreciation for the Brady Bunch going into it. Also the nineties had like a weird Brady Bunch resurgence where there was a couple of like tell all books came out a couple of cast members died. There was the like lifetime or one of those like unauthorized things, unauthorized type things where it was like the, all the scandals that happened behind the scenes were like the cast members, like were hooking up with each other. And so there was like a a lot of drama behind the scenes of the Brady bunch where the, the lead actor who played Mike, he was gay. I think he died of, uh, ended up dying of AIDS. Oh really? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then the mom hooked up with the oldest son, uh, Marcia. Florence Henderson did. Yeah, Marcia and like the old and the oldest son, Greg, hooked up, and there was like drama with that where they couldn't be around each other because he apparently was like a little aggressive with it, and so like yeah. a bunch of their like tell-all books came out around this time, and so like the '90s had a weird Brady Bunch like resurgence, but then since like 2000, no one cares at all about the Brady Bunch like at all. The only. 
The, dude, the, the only thing that I remember from like the 2000s about the Brady Bunch was um, I think it was the guy who played Peter. Uh, he remember he was on that reality show with oh, that, yeah. Um, yeah, where he got like married to that other reality star, and there was like a very like terrible show where it was I can't remember the name of it, but he it was like their reality show with them married or whatever for yes. a while, and then I think they obviously got like divorced at some point, but oh, that Marcia was the- had too. Marcia had a reality show too, like a couple of years ago. Really? Yes, yes. Let me find what? it. It has a, I think it has a tie-in with the name. Yeah, I don't remember. So a very Brady sequel is, like I said, like, and, and sounds like you kind of feel the same way. Is like so much more superior to the first movie because I felt like the first Brady Bunch movie was like kind of it was it had a really hard time finding its footing in terms of the fact that like, and, and this is brilliant, but. Essentially, they, without any warning, question, or explanation, drop the Brady Bunch into modern times. There's no explanation for why this family exists in this time. There's no explanation <laughs> for why they like are unaware of like the world around them. And I feel like the first movie has a harder time like balancing that and like coming up with like good jokes out of that. There's still like I still like it, but this one just I think kind of perfects that blend of the jokes that you can glean from them being in modern times. And then also I love that both of these movies essentially involves them taking down a villain unwittingly. And they, they just like by accident, like because of like how like grading they are, it like just wears down (laughs) like the villain of each movie. And Tim Matheson is like so perfect in this movie as the villain. Like, you could not have put a better person in that role for that. And I, I just love that, that like dynamic of them being completely oblivious to like everything that's going on around them. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. Uh, real quick. Uh, uh, Maureen McCormick who played Marcia had a HGTV show. I'm not sure if it's still in the air called a very Brady bunch renovation where they go and like renovate homes and stuff. I think I think every single celebrity has had a home renovation show. Did you, I think John Wayne Gacy does. Yeah, he does. Well, he did. Yeah, before he was. No, he's killed. doing it. He's doing it from prison. Oh, okay. Wait, isn't he dead? I this, this no, I think John him. Wayne. No, I think John Wayne Gacy still. Oh, hold on a second. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you're right. No, 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 no. You're right. John Wayne Gacy is dead, but the BTK is alive. Yes. Okay. That's who I was thinking of, BTK Killer. So yeah, John, and he had a home improvement show too. I wonder if Burger King would do a tie-in with the BTK, like to make a sandwich. <laughs> the BTK Burger, <laughs> the BK BTK. Yeah. Um, would, I'm trying to think of what like the home improvement show would do. Yes. <laughs> oh God. Uh, <laughs> is that what this episode's about? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, so you're totally right. Like it's, it's one, an amazingly brilliant move um, since obviously they're doing a parody, but it's amazingly brilliant to put them in modern times. And that helps show the ridiculousness um, that is like the Brady Bunch. What I'd actually be super curious about is like, and I don't know if, if you know this off the top of your head, but like how they were able to do this. Like how did they get, like how were they allowed to like, skewer them like this i'm sure like whoever had the rights to the Brady, like whoever i think universal produced this so I, I bet they i bet the brady bunch was probably on nbc so i'm sure they had the rights to like the brady bunch and and um i mean the casting we gary cole as mike brady oh my god like he's so fucking fantastic shelly long was perfect as yep. uh uh carol brady yep um so yeah they did an amazing job casting this movie and they play it so straight. Dude, that's what, I know. I mean, that's what does makes it so good. And they play it straight, and like um, they use like it's it's essentially like you're watching like the sitcom in film form, but also as a satire to where like they use a lot of the same sets. So it's like very clearly like sitcom set. They use like the sitcom music. They do like sitcom bits and uh, beats and. So they play it so straight while everyone around them is wondering, like, what the fuck is wrong with this family? 
Well, yeah. And like the other thing they do that was like a kind of a funny trick was like anytime they're in the house, they lit it as if it was the sitcom. But then once they get on the real real world where there isn't like all the 70s like set decoration, it's not lit like a sitcom anymore. It's like it looks like a movie. Like the in the house, it's everything is like very flat and like it looks like you're watching the show from the 70s with just like a different cast. But yeah, once yeah. you're out in the real world, it become it like looks like a normal movie. Um, so I think that was like a really funny trick. And like you said, like they interspersed like all these. Basically, in the first two movies, they interspersed like all of the most famous uh, Brady Bunch TV plot points from the episodes, um, and like center them around like these evil villains. Um, and so this one uh, is basically Carol's long lost husband shows up. And um, because they never explain in the show what happened to him, exactly. Yeah, you don't know what happened to <laughs> you. Know, you don't know what happened to Mike and Carol's. Significant I think they say. I think they say that Mike in the show that Mike, like they mentioned at the beginning of the show, that Mike Brady's uh, wife died. Okay. That yeah, that actually. I mean, but that they makes, don't. Right, but and then they just like for whatever reason just never mention what happened to Carol's. Yeah, yeah. So we don't know. Like, uh, apparently, Carol's husband was on a, like an archaeology ex expedition yeah like okay <laughs> sure and it's uh this guy it's roy it's her husband roy is and it's tim Atherton, uh, tim Atherton. he's incredible i love him ever since animal house um but like they're like oh you look completely different like and he just throws out boy he's like oh an elephant ran over my face and they're like oh okay <laughs> like yeah they just, uh, sure <laughs> and so they like they let him stay there mike mike allows him to stay and uh, we're off to the races, and we find out very quickly that he's there. Well, the opening scene is a um, well. There's two two parts to it. There is somebody sabotaging a boat, and you find out you find out that's from the expedition when Roy disappeared. And then there is a auction that happens where this like that that horse that you always see in the actual Brady Bunch TV show that just sits in their living room. Yeah. Um, is up for auction and it's being sold uh, for over twenty million dollars. And there's only two known horses in the world, and one of them is the Brady family's horse. And so then Roy shows up, quote unquote Roy shows up um, and starts staying with the Bradys. And then you find out very quickly that he's not really Roy; he's a grifter who knew Roy, and he's there for the horse. And that's like the main motivation of the film. And what's great is from that moment forward, he consistently gets outwitted and like physically beaten the shit by the Brady's like, again, unwittingly, which is just so great because, you know, he starts off as this like conniving villain who thinks that he's got one over on the Brady's and, you know, every step along the way they, they take him down. And, and I, I just, I, I always love in comedies the increasingly desperate and like degraded villain who starts out so high and like through the re through the movie just becomes like more and more of like a psychopath because like so, like it, it reminds me of like a like you know a lot of movies have done this well but like dumb and dumber comes to mind I'm thinking of like obviously the Brady Bunch I'm thinking it, it was a very like big 90s thing where Dude, like the main who does? Stupids. The stupids. Oh my yeah. god! Have you, have you seen that movie, Steve? Oh my god! I don't know if I have. Oh baby, buckle up! That's <laughs> gonna be stupids. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like who else. Like even like, I, I wouldn't say it's because they're. It's not because they're stupid, but be, but they're like viewed as incapable is like Wayne's world is another one. Like I love, I love, love, love in comedies when like a very, when like the protagonist is either like an everyman or like an unwitting kind of person or like a very like kind soul or something. And they just by like being around destroy a villain. Like I, I, I just love that trope and it, it happens. So funny. It's, it's so funny and it works really well here. And like, again, this being the better one of the two, the jokes are just so much crisper and tighter in this movie than they were in the first one. Like the first one, like there's a lot of like, I would say dead space. But what I found when I was like watching this one, cause it's like, it's not even an hour and a half. It's like an hour and like 20 some minutes. 
what I found when I was watching this one was that like, it's like a joke a minute. I mean, it really like peppers you with, cause I really think they have a f- good feel for like the satire at that point. And it's just like constant because you have so many characters to draw from. Like you've got in this one, you've got like the, the like intense, like sexual energy between Greg and Marsha. You've got obviously Tim Matheson um, and his plot, which is like the main plot of the movie. You've got uh, Jan and Marsha having their like constant bouts, which like, I love Marsha shitting all over Jan in this. It's fantastic. Um, When Roy is going to take Carol to Hawaii uh, to kidnap her, the way that Christine Taylor delivers the line of like, take Jan. It's so good. Dude. Also, this movie was like, it's like so fun to watch as you get older because like you get the jokes when I was, when I saw this movie when I was like 11 or 12 years old, I didn't understand like 90% of the jokes. Like in the opening scene, they're reading their yearbooks, Marsha and Jan to each other. And Marsha's fucking French teacher writes menage a trois in her <laughs> yeah. yearbook. And she's like, oh, I bet that's French for you're the most. Like, that's an insane joke. That's so fucking funny and, like, gross. But it's oh, amazing. It's, dude, there's rampant sex jokes in this movie. Oh. Like, they're between, um, obviously, Greg and Marsha are, <laughs> like, like, there's so many about those two to where, like, it culminates. They actually kiss at the end, but then it, like, she get like at one point she gives him mouth to mouth in Hawaii and he gets like a boner from it. And he's like, she's like, where are you going? And he's like, something just came up and he runs off and like Carol and Mike, Carol always is saying something that's like insinuating that she's got her hands on his dick because she's like, I know where, I know where somebody could find all my fingerprints, Mr. Brady or like yep. um, the other one was like, I know what I'd like to get my hands on. And like, and then I don't know where like he pulls like a carrot up. So like, there's just like every scene has like two or three sex jokes for some of the characters. Oh, that's um, the best. And it's like still, it's fantastic. I, I don't think they're ever like cheap. They're like really, and they're never like wink, wink. It's just like they like they hit them and they go. Yeah, yeah. They play them as if it's a sitcom, but right. now that we're like not in that decade, it you get like it's now all like an actually funny joke. That's like super hypersexual. Um, yeah. so, so some of the uh, some of the TV show plot points we get um, the whole so Marsha's shitting on Jan because she doesn't have a boyfriend, but she makes up her boyfriend's like, oh yeah, it's a guy named George Glass, and that also happens in the TV show. So does we she make she, up the boyfriend in the show too? I think she does in the show. She, I'm pretty sure she does make up the boyfriend. Um, okay. And so yeah, so Jan starts sending herself like gifts from George glass. She calls a phone sex hotline and uh, like has them call her pretending it's George glass. Um, we get Marsha, the big <laughs> sexual thing that happens between Marsha and Greg, uh, the fight about uh, sharing the attic. Uh, Cause they each want their own room as like the oldest boy and girl. And so in the show, they end up sharing it, putting a sheet there. And in the movie they do too. But then they uh, start to question, wait a minute, we're not actually brother and sister because uh, Roy's here. So like we're we're not related at all. But and also they, like wouldn't they have like wouldn't they have known that beforehand? Like they would have known like we're not brother. We're not really brother and sister because. Yeah, we're but they're still, they're still like steps. But like if Roy is there, that mean because Cindy isn't old enough i don't think she's even seven yet so roy wouldn't legally be dead by being gone for seven years and so so like the marriage to mike wouldn't be valid and so like they're not even stepbrother and sister they're okay they they are like acquaintances so they are both like very horned up and like ready to like go at it and it's amazing (laughs) Do they really? I like again. This is like my ignorance of the show. They actually have Greg and Marsha share the attic space, like yeah, briefly, two seven, yeah. like two seventeen-year-olds with like raging hormones. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure they like obviously made it very tame. I don't even know if they're in the the same space very often together. But then they get in a fight about it, and then they they go back to like their rooms and stuff. Like, but yeah, it's yeah. I, I mean, obviously back then though, it's like oh. There's not the like step sibling porn revolution that's like happened 
And so it's not, it wouldn't be a thing. <laughs> Like, would be like going on. Thank God. Oh, yeah. Thank God we normalize that. (laughs) All of your ad, all of your advocacy work for that really paid off. (laughs) Um, and then we get some other great, like, little things, uh, um, in the show. And you got this with like Danny Tanner in, um, Full House where you get the big monologue that kind of wraps up the episode and gives you the lesson. So Mike constantly has these big monologues where everyone gathers around him and um, gets ready to like, what's the lesson for the day pops. And uh, th- that happens like three or four times throughout. And it's amazing. Yeah. I mean this, this what like this movie especially like plays to like the strength of comedy really well in the sense that like every character has a very, it's like, it. I mean, again, it's like sitcom work. It's every character has a very clearly defined trait. And basically from that point, you can just web out any joke you want from like those traits. So like yeah. knowing, knowing that Jan is a loser, you can invent a boyfriend. You can have her fight with Marsha, who's incredibly popular and, and uh, shallow. And, you know, so like every character has like their own, like, very specific trait and you can build off of that. And like, I honestly, like I, I forgot how good this was and watching it again. I was like, this is like, this movie needs to be celebrated. It's so good. Um, and it should be celebrated because this is like in meme culture, this is like a, a the sure Jan. A, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Jan. This is like a seminal movie for mm-hmm. meme culture. So like the sure Jan meme came from this. Yeah. When she's talking about her, her fake boyfriend, yeah. Like it's, yeah, it, it was, it was great. Like I, yeah, I had to like, I forgot that meme came from this movie and I was like, oh my God, I use that all the time. It's great. Which actually, uh, that makes me, reminds me that like Christine Taylor, I think is like the best part of these movies. Like hands She's, down. Incredible. She's incredible as Marcia. She, she nails it. Every, every single line is so good. Okay. So in the actual like plot, uh, so he's at the house. He's, uh, the, uh, the uh, statue isn't there because earlier they were playing uh, like ball in the house and like some grape juice got on the statue. So they sent it to get cleaned. He's waiting for it to like come back. And then presumably what you do is, is you just like wait till everyone goes to bed and just grab it and fucking head for the airport. Like just leave. <laughs> you just leave. Yeah, like, it's super simple. Like you don't need to do any kind of plan. Just take the, take the horse statue and just get out of there. And he's like, got that's it, it in his, he, yeah, he's got it in his hands. Like it's crazy. So yeah, basically uh, also in the background, Mike is planning an anniversary celebration for Carol because their wedding anniversary is coming up. We get a great little musical number where they're dancing around. What looks like, I think it's the, oh God, what, what mall is it? Cause it takes place in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. Is that I, the, the Brady house recently sold like last year. It's great. Have you oh, seen God. it? I uh, know I haven't driven past that one yet, but apparently it's like still like semi similar. Um, like you can tell it's the Brady house, but yeah, so there's a couple outdoor malls, I think. Uh, and like Roy falls in the, the water. So that's, it's great because like you get all these things that were cool and like fun to do in the seventies were like spontaneous musical numbers. And, but everybody responds as if it's in the nineties, like why the fuck are you guys singing and dancing at this outdoor mall? Like that makes no sense to us. Well, that gives, and, and that sequence is good, but e- the even better musical number is when they all are on the plane to go to Hawaii and they do the, um, good time music song, yes. which like I've been singing nonstop since I've watched this movie, but it's like this, like very choreographed number where they're all wearing Hawaiian shirts. They've all got like their instruments somehow. And, because they're all like bummed on the flight and they're like, what would cheer us up? And they do a, uh, like a really like elaborate number and everybody on the plane is like, what the fuck is this? And to the point where I think like the flight attendants, like, please shut up and sit down. And like, they still don't understand it. And they're just kind of like, Oh, okay, whatever. But like, it's so good. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> what, what would you, okay. So I pose that to you. What would you have done if a family started doing that? Like same number, same, like everything. Oh no, I, I'd have the exact same, like I was watching the uh, music or I was watching a clip on YouTube of it uh, before this, just cause I, I like it. And all the comments of people were like, I don't know if they were being like cynical or not, but they were like, 
they were saying like, God, like lighten up, you know, like they were like people commenting on like the passengers being pissed, but like <laughs> being the cynical person that I am, I would be, I would be pissed to have to hear this. I would be yeah. like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Yeah. That's a five hour flight. Like that's not a short flight by any means. Yeah. From LA to Hawaii. Also, like I'm just now realizing that like when he, I, we're jumping ahead in the plot. I don't think that really matters for this episode. <laughs> Not in this one. <laughs> uh, but I, like, what's crazy is he kidnaps Carol and brings her on a five-hour flight. Like, she goes to the airport with him, goes through security because you can't obviously drive to Hawaii, and like, she just goes along for the ride. Like, flies to Hawaii with him. And then, well, and then even crazier than that is that on a whim, Mike and the kids and Alice all jump on a flight to Hawaii. And so that's eight people that just like (laughs) immediately get on a flight. And like, I can, can, even in the like nineties that had to cost like thousands of dollars. Oh yeah. Like so much money. Um, We get a weird sequence. So, okay. So uh, Roy basically is like, I just want the horse to Carol um, before his cover's born. Uh, Cause it reminds me of you. Like he's pretending to be your husband still. And she's like, Oh, I put the horse up for auction. Like, but it's going to be $50. And like, he's like, okay, cool. Like that's fine. So he goes to the auction. He gets outbid by Jaja Gabor and Rosie and O'Donnell. O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he steals the horse. But before that happened, there's a really ridiculous scene that I think we need to talk about where um, Al- he, Alice makes her gross food and Roy doesn't like it. Um, and so she finds some mushrooms of his and they're obviously like magic mushrooms. She makes uh, a spaghetti dinner for him and he eats like all of it before realizing that they're magic mushrooms. And then he trips his balls off and everything becomes it becomes an animated musical sequence. That is incredible. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, that's definitely like the go-to thing now is like anytime somebody's tripping balls in a movie, it it ends up being like an animated sequence where they're like dancing in a field somewhere. But again, this being like the Brady Bunch, it works even better just because they, and they have no idea. They just assume he loves the meal. Yes. Yeah, they're so like jaded that like, yeah, they're just like, oh yeah, like, okay. Yeah, and it's like, I thought it was like a very inventive thing to do in a 90s comedy that wasn't like, like Austin Powers did a bunch of crazy shit, but like that was to parody those movies. Like the Brady Bunch didn't have a a sequence like this where somebody had in their show, somebody did like mushrooms or acid and then tripped balls. Like that didn't happen. So like, I thought it was a really cool and inventive thing to do in this like nineties random ass sequel. I think it's, and I agree that it's because in a movie like this, you're definitely like painted into a corner. So like if you're writing, if you're writing a satirical Brady Bunch movie, you have to walk a line of it being PG 13, Yeah, but, and you have to, with the family, you have to still be true to those characters, but then put them in a satirical movie in a modern day context and you have to be able to take modern elements and then still insert it into like their seventies world. So you're like playing with both sides. And so that's like a really hard thing to do in this case without it turning without like the one, like the other movie that I think is an interesting, um, maybe not one-to-one type of comparison, but like the Starsky and Hutch Mm, movie yeah. uh with Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson I think is another one that does a very good job maybe not as good it go cuz it goes like a little bit beyond like the spirit of maybe what Starsky and Hutch were as if I know even what that was but like this this cuz that one gave itself way more freedom to play with it I think yeah. but it it was still I would argue close enough but this one was like no we are going to put we are going to make it as close to the Brady Bunch family as possible and then put, build this world around them, which is like way more difficult than just kind of being like, yeah, like, like you could easily have written this as like, you know, Oh, um, you, you could have updated it to where they were just existing in the nineties. Like you didn't have to do it this way. And yeah. I think that that, I think that it, it's a better payoff because like, that means you have, like you were saying, like there's so many like callbacks, not only to this, 
show, but then other shows of that era that you have to have that knowledge of the show in that time period to like have that love for it, to be able to write it from a satirical viewpoint. Like you can't just half-ass a movie like this. Yeah, no, you're right. You, you, you have to have a full understanding of like what you're making fun of. Um, because I think it's, it's been done before where like they try, uh, other films try to satirize a show or the era and they just don't have like a full understanding of it. They'll, they'll hit a couple of things where like, Oh, I know what they're going for. But yeah, they, these, these two movies have like such a all in and, and obviously it's because they have to like, they owned the, um, the IP on this. Like, it's not like they were just making fun of, they, it was one of those like shitty, um, not another horror movie, not another, um, I right. thought not another movie was like definitely the best of that group. Uh, but where they made like not another rom-com, not another whatever, um, where they're just being super generic and you're just like, Oh, I guess like the same joke over and over. But yeah, they had like such a, I'm sure like a crazy Brady bunch aficionado probably could find like 30 or 40 references from like the TV show that are made in, in, um, that are made in each of the movies. Um, I, I watched some Brady Bunch growing up and like I was able upon rewatch of this, not even doing any research on like all the references to find like five or six like episodes I knew that were covered in the show that they were major plot points and they used them as major devices. They used that ugly ass uh, horse statue as like the driving um, thing that motivated the antagonist of the film. And so like that's really cool to pick that because I'm sure like the writers are watching old episodes like, okay, what are we going to make the sequel about? And it's like, oh, do you ever wonder where that weird horse came from? And then mm -hmm. you just go from there. That's amazing. Yeah, because I think at the first movie, it was just a developer was trying to buy the house, right? I, yeah. I believe yeah. that was what the first one was. So like, it still it still has like some, I, I again, I have no idea if that was like a Brady Bunch plot at any point that somebody was trying to like buy their house. But I think you're right in that like the second movie turns it up a notch and says, like you're saying, it's like, here's this like iconic piece of the set and it becomes the it's like a completely absurd and hilarious that it would be worth $20 million and the Brady Bunch would never even know. And then when they do find out that it's worth $20 million, Mike Brady turns down the offer to sell it because it means too much to the family. So like, of course they don't sell it for $20 million. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, we'll get to that final scene in a second. Cause we, yeah, we have some more tie-ins that you were mentioning earlier with other uh, films. Um, okay. So, he steals the horse after the auction. He gets back there and um, uh, the two youngest, Bobby and um, uh, Cindy. Cindy. Yeah, Cindy. Uh, they're, she's looking for her stupid kitty carryall doll and he's playing detective with her. They're going through old boxes and they find a picture of Roy, like who's actually uh, uh, the father's assistant, Trevor. And so they were like, they tell the mom, like, hey, Roy is like, he's not really Roy. He's lying. And instead of just, he has the horse. Like, he can literally just be like, okay, whatever, guys, bye. Like, it's because yeah, right. there's nobody there to stop him. Mike's not even there to stop him. Um, he's right. just, I would just walk out of the house, pretend I can't hear them. And like, I'm on my way to get my 20 mail. Instead, he pulls a gun on him, tells them his whole Carol. plan, takes yeah. Carol hostage. <laughs> Now he has a hostage. Instead of just tying them all up so he can get away, not tell them where he's going. Again, he's in Los Angeles. He's not in a small town where it's like, oh, I saw that new stranger in town with your horse, Mrs. Brady. Like, just disappear into LAX to never right. be seen again. So now he has a hostage <laughs> and he ties them all up. And Mike finds the family. And then he, like you said, he says, we're kids, we're going to Hawaii. Which is, it's like another one of those sitcom beats where you do the like on location episode <laughs> the abc remember those like abc since it was owned by disney every sitcom had a disney episode dude when nothing like messed with my mind more than when i saw the uh full house do their like two-parter at disney world because like the idea of seeing like a sitcom filmed like a movie it it fucks with your head. It does. Like the like the I Love Lucy movies and stuff. Like it's too weird. 
I can't take yeah, it. Yeah, and that was doubly weird because Steve was the voice of Aladdin and he plays Aladdin in yeah. the in Disney. Like like D, DJ keeps like hallucinating him because she misses right. him. And in one of the scenes he's Aladdin. <laughs> um, too much stuff. Aren't, yeah. <laughs> Aren't they like uh do you ever watch Fuller House? Uh no, I haven't watched that yet. Uh don't. No, okay. <laughs> All I know is that Steve's back, and I think he's like in Ooh. some love triangle. Yeah, dude, he's like in a love triangle with DJ. Oh, I hope That's Kimmy's part from, of that triangle. No, Kimmy, dude. Yeah, uh, Kimmy actually is married to some like uh, Latin soap star. I think. Good. It's, I'm I, glad they're finally not shitting on Kimmy Gibbler. No, I know, and like uh, of like the, all of like the adult girls, like she's banging. Like she deserve Kimmy deserves to have like a hot Latin lover. Good for her, man. Cause like Jess when you look back on that show, Jesse spent all of his time fucking shitting all over like a twelve year old girl. <laughs> it's so weird. I know. Like loser ass <laughs> Jesse and the Rippers. And he's just like dunking on an eleven year old all like the first two or three seasons. <laughs> Calling like, her like you ugly. <laughs> yeah, you're ugly and your feet smell like my asshole. Like get out of my house, Gibbler. And it's not even your house. Like you decided, like when your sister died. Like, hey, I'm moving into the basement. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not going to help with rent in San Francisco. And my and our loser third friend, who's a stand-up comic who only does four impressions, is going to live with us too. Who's like the cleanest of clean comedians, <laughs> like aggravatingly so. That like uh, only like his entire set is like if he was doing it as Popeye. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like here's Popeye ordering some pizza. <laughs> God. Oh my God. But like when um any of those like old sitcoms would do like an on location episode, it just completely screws with my head. And so like I mean, those are always such a thrill too, because like yeah. you're like, oh my God. This Dude, is I can think of different. like three, like Full House, Step by, uh, well, I think Step by Step did it. I think Family Ma- Family Matters, I know, did it because uh, Urkel goes there for some like genius convention and he turns into <laughs> Stefan. Um, why do I know all this? Um, and uh, when he's Dude, your knowledge of ABC sitcoms is so vast. That was, I had very limited friend groups in during the TGIF hating. And so my, <laughs> my weekend was, um, Friday night was TGIF and Saturday night was uh, Snick at night. So a lot of like, are you afraid of the dark and um, oh, yeah. all that? What did you, how nuts did you go when Urkel showed up on full house? Dude, that was that like, yeah, no, it's like, it's a weird, it's, it's amazing. And a weird, uh, where they, yeah, where they would do the cross episodes. Where, Sitcom crossovers are the best. Oh my God. Yeah. Where Salem would show up in all the episodes I think we talked about this. We, we talked did. about this already. <laughs> Let's do it again. <laughs> but yeah, no, Urkel, that was like a very, yeah, that was a very, I think that was one of the first that they did with that whole whole lineup was Urkel showing up. And um, I remember the kid from, oh my God, he was, he played Michelle's friend, Teddy. Uh, he oh, was on Sister. Yeah. Maori. Younger um, sister. Taj Maori. Yeah, Taj Maori. Because he was, he was in uh, Sister Sister. He was also guy. in Smart Guy. Yeah, he was the yep. lead of Smart Guy. So he was in like three of those like '90s big sitcoms. It was amazing. Yep. Yeah, uh, and then this uh, movie actually has some fun crossover elements in it. Um, it's mentioned in passing that Carol, Carol's husband, husband is essentially the professor from Gilligan's Island. Yeah, and. So they 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 mentioned Gilligan and then they mentioned the professor and so basically you you understand that her first husband is the professor and he's on an, he's living on an island somewhere and so you get the Gilligan's crossover and then at the very end of the movie the genie from I Dream of Genie shows up and says that she's Mike's first wife she's like very very old like very <laughs> yeah like, 20 years older than uh, Gary Cole is. And so you're just like, okay, well, whatever. At this point, sure. it doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. So they get, to Hawaii. Okay. they get to Hawaii. Carol's still kidnapped by Trevor. 
He's going to uh, this millionaire's estate. They blow a tire. This happens in the show. There's a whole thing with that little tiki pennant thing. That's like when they do their Hawaii episodes. Um, there's like a whole cursed storyline with that. Oh, is it really? And that's like that was another throwback. Um, Carol disappears, and he's just like, "Fuck it, I'm just taking this horse. I'm gonna go sell it, and like, I'm like, whatever." Um, but of course, she shows up at the wealthy guy's house first, explains like her plight. And the guy, uh, when uh, Roy slash Trevor shows up, you find out that not only was um, Carol's husband the professor, but the wealthy dude's son was Gilligan. And uh, <laughs> Trevor is responsible for Gilligan's disappearance on the minnow. So, like, in this world of this movie, like, they are directly, like, they are all related to the minnow's disappearance. and. Um, so yeah, eventually then Mike and the kids show up and Mike just like fucking knocks Roy out and punches him into the swimming pool because he says the word but and everyone like <laughs> yeah, freaks yeah, out. Everyone loses it. I also like that when Mike punches him into the pool, like I always love when a villain like gets punched out and he like lands in a pool. He like stops everything he's doing because now he's embarrassed. Like, yeah, like he doesn't like try to get away or anything like he just waits for the cops to come and gets arrested and just gets hauled away and he just sits there and like yeah he's <laughs> yep you're he's right. like resigned to his fate <laughs> dude oh while you God. were talking the other crossover that always like really messed with my head was the flintstones and the jetsons wouldn't that oh because like isn't the like isn't like the theory that like the jetsons just live in the sky above the flintstones yeah, I know that's one of the theories that's out there. And like, the I remember that one very distinctly because Fred like can't wrap his, like Fred wants like his giant non-cooked steaks and they have like the little pills that fill you up in the Jetson world. And so like that does not make him very happy. And because they're like, here's your dinner and it's like a pill. And he's like, wait, what? And then he's also being like tormented by the great gazoo. Yeah, the like great gazoo comes a bunch. Dude, Fred, Fred Flintstone's a tortured soul. He really is. He really is. Oh, we um, got to do the Flintstones. Oh, my God. I forgot that they existed in the 90s. Ooh, and I hope the sequel, too. Oh, yeah. Do the Flintstones movie. Oh, Halle Berry. Yes. Ooh, is she in that? Yeah, she's the main, like, she's one of the two main villains. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. And, yeah, uh, really yeah, so Rick Moranis, Rosie O'Donnell. Um, yeah. John Goodman. Goodman. It's crazy. actually is like that is like for a movie for like a live action movie about the Flintstones. How did they pull that off? Dude, that was insane. And then I remember like the cross promotion because I'm pretty sure that's when the McRib was invented. Um oh, and my we God. I think my parents still have like some of the glass mugs where McDonald's would have those crazy cross promotions where the mug, the handle of it is like a bone and it's like it says Flintstones on it. Dude, I love it. That'll be passed down for generations. That's that's my kid's inheritance right there. <laughs> um, um, okay, so I had one question I wanted to pose to you. Okay. I think the movie would have been better if the whole thing just took place in Hawaii. <sighs> no, because I still wanted to see, I still wanted to get like the jokes of them in their like natural setting. Like I think that you still, like there was still a lot to enjoy about the dynamics between the characters like in their typical uh set so yeah. and and then and then there's like the dynamics between Jan and Marsha there's the dynamics between Greg and Marsha and um really the those are like the main kid storylines like everybody else is kind of like like Peter's kind of whatever Bobby and Cindy sort of don't do that much um, I think Cindy has more to do in the first one when like, I think, she, I think her doll or something is like telling her to like burn something. So like, she doesn't really have much to do in this one. Um, but I, cause like also the other fun thing about like those on location episodes is like the moment where the family or the main characters like we're going to Hawaii. And then there's like that fun, like, you know, sweeping shots of wherever they're going and that, and like weird new music that you never heard in the sitcom before. And it like, yeah, you're like, Whoa. Yeah. Yep. right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, Whoa. I wouldn't say that. I don't think that like, it would have been better if the whole movie, but like you probably could have gone there earlier. Cause like 
really, they don't get to Hawaii until there's like 15 minutes left in the movie. Like, it's pretty yeah. quick. Yeah, I was like, I paused it at one point. There's like 22 minutes left in the movie and they still weren't in Hawaii. And I was like, I know they're in Hawaii in this movie and I felt like it was for a really long time. But like, no, they, they just immediately like all split up once they get to Hawaii. They're doing asinine like searches. It's incredible. Like Greg's literally surfing waves, yelling for his mom, like, mom, where are you? Yeah, right, and right. It's the effective search ever. It's, it's so good. That's when he gets the boner on the beach when Marsha yep. gives him mouth to mouth. Dude, okay, so we'll go right into that. So the movie ends, um, obviously, like they stop Roy, they get offered 20 million, they turn it down because it's like. And Jan meets Greg, she meets George Glass. It's George Glass. um, And I'm glad she actually like follows through and has a relationship with him. So it's their, uh, they basically renew their wedding vows as part of like for their anniversary. And a bunch of like crazy things happen during this. Um, Jan is with George Glass, so she has her, she's happy. Um, mm-hmm. Greg and Marsha just end up making out at the wedding in front I, of everybody. In front of everyone, no one says anything to them. Also, like there's like forty or fifty random people, like random adults at this wedding, and right. like I don't know, like yeah, how they? they have friends, like at all. Like who would choose to be friends with the Brady's? Like I would be polite to them so they wouldn't like kill me, but like I wouldn't go to like a renewal of their wedding vows. No, it does. I mean, it makes you wonder like how any but how. Again, this is something that the movie doesn't address, which like I'm glad it doesn't. But it makes you wonder like how any of them are functioning members of society if they haven't seemed to have like existed beyond 1975. Because like, yeah. how does like how like how does in the two movies like Mike Brady's creating like these garbage ass like designs at his architecture firm? How is he yeah. not like how is he not fired? And like and and like I think Carol, I mean she doesn't work right, and then. All the kids are like uh, very much emotionally stunted because like um, Greg tries to like flirt and it's like a complete disaster. And the only person he can possibly flirt with is Marsha because they only speak in like 70s lingo. So like yeah. there's actually the scene we didn't mention yet was the scene where they they're trying to like make each other mad. And so they go on like a date with like the other person's like nemesis. Yes. <laughs> And so they're at the coffee shop and like they're doing like a double date all of a sudden when they meet up with each other and Greg and Marsha are kind of basically just vibing on their own. And the two other people, again, living in the 90s are like, this is fucked up. Yeah, this is fucking weird. And then meanwhile, like Jan's Jan's with like a fake mannequin with like a mannequin like that she pretends to be George Glass. Like she's making out with. And that was there was like a great like little side joke where like three like super confused like stoner people are like is this some kind of community theater like what jan is doing because she's like holding him and george you're so like don't oh you're you're too much like how that's so inappropriate i can't kiss you here like it's it's so funny and weird i love how insane they make jan like it is i mean I, i love christine taylor but like jan is amazing like i would watch four more movies if it was just like marcia and jan yeah dude they're so good it's, together the, the it, dynamic yeah, is it's so fantastic funny yeah it's, all right here's a question for you here's here's a question okay. for you is Ooh. what would you because i actually think it could work if you had if you again if you had the same cast how what would be like your third movie of these of the oh. brady bunch Okay, so is is the third movie happening a couple of years after uh, this movie? Like, so the actors are that age, or are they now like their age now? I mean, I would say that like you let's let's just pretend that it's all the same cast, like around the same age. Like, if you could make a third movie okay. with like the same satirical context. Um. Okay, so I'd make a whole plot line where like Greg goes off to college because uh, he's the oldest. And I would lean into like the high school drama more. Uh, Marsha okay. is uh, trying to become prom queen. Greg goes off to college. And like, I think it'd be funny if Greg comes back like during break and like he is like what is messing up the family vibe and dynamic because he is now like exposed to this non Brady Bunch world. And so he starts to like really have negative influences and like he gets some of them to like smoke pot. Like he and he becomes kind of like the villain of the series okay. instead of like an internal because uh, the whole like 
premise is like obviously like family, like always together. And I think it'd be funny if like one of them destroyed the family. And it would be okay. Greg like going to like a liberal arts school and just being exposed to like all these shocking things. Okay. I would do, I like that. I would do, I would place them in today's world. Okay. So I would place them in today's world and I'd have like Mike, Mike Brady either running for office or like already holding Ooh, I like office. That. And like basically the villain of the movie is like someone either trying to corrupt him or um, like uh, blackmail him or something. And like basically that person get turning into like the Roy where they just get consistently like shit on throughout the movie. Yeah. But like, I think putting like the family in like a different context of like their place in society would be fun. But I also yeah. like the idea. I do like your idea of like making one of the characters go out on their own and like learn that the world, like have their worldview shattered is really interesting. See, so yeah, you could combine both those ideas too. Yeah, like, I mean, you could like, have the A and B plot. The family. Like, well, he could be the thing. Get- well, he could be like the the thing that like is the inciting incident to like have Mike get blackmailed. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like whatever whatever he does at college is caught on video, and it's used as like a piece of blackmail against Mike. And for whatever reason, the Bradys are like unaffected by it. Yeah, they just can't comprehend like what blackmailing actually is. They're just like, no, oh, they would never okay. know. I thank you for the information. It's good to know. And it's like, no, no, like you wouldn't want this to get out. You're right. We wouldn't. So we're going to have a talk with them. Thank you. And you're just you're like, right. no. What? <laughs> and like the concept that like if you were watching this family on like TV, you'd be like, there's something sinister going on here. Yeah. And no, and like the fact that they are who they are and there's nothing behind it, like makes would make them like a really interesting political family. Oh, for sure. It'd be great. Especially in like today's context. Yeah. That's a good idea. I love that. So let's see. What other, let's see. You got any other last thoughts on this? The only thing last thought, see this movie, it's like holds up incredibly well. It's, it's so fucking funny. Um, also, I had one spicy nugget. Uh, Christopher oh, yeah, Daniel Barr, who plays Greg, the oldest uh, son, uh, he was the voice of Prince Eric in The Little Mermaid like the feature film, not even like one of those knockoff, like straight to uh, VHS. He is Prince Eric. Dude, that's yeah. nice. That is a spicy nugget. Exciting stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely see this movie. It is like so funny. Um, I recommend just see, but honestly see both of them. It's, it's like a fun, like they're both like an hour and a half. Uh, watch like one or two episodes of the Brady Bunch, just so you, if you've never been exposed to it, just so you kind of get a vibe for it. But it's like a really great, it's really great parody. It's awesome. Check it out. Yeah. It, it, I don't think this movie gets the love that it should in terms of 90s comedies. I feel like it might have like, like uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago when like more people were closer to the Brady Bunch. But I feel like the further we get from that era, the tougher it'll be for this movie to like stand up because people won't understand like why it's funny. But like you said, it's like, go, go watch a few Brady Bunch episodes or at least like read up on it and watch some clips and then watch these movies. And like, you'll be hooked. They're, they're short. They're, they're quick. They're funny. The writing is really solid. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, uh, definitely check out a very Brady sequel. I'm super glad that it holds up and that again, it should be getting the love that it deserves for it being like, like I said, seminal meme culture here. So, um, that's it for a very Brady sequel. I'm a very sleepy boy. I'm going to go to bed after this. <laughs> Just so you all know when we were recording this, <laughs> it's late. I, I, I don't know. They could tell by the manic, like craziness of this episode, which I, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about like John Wayne Gacy at one point. <laughs> oh my God, I'll go one. back. I'll go back we're and look that we're, we're still quarantined. Yeah, this is still quarantine. I'll go back and look that we like actually recorded for seven hours and we just talked about John Wayne Gacy. And like by the end of it, we were like on his side. <laughs> we like talked ourselves into it. <laughs> he had some good points. I mean, I don't know. They're in the system. Let him down. All right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, follow us on all of your preferred social channels, Revenge of 90s Pod, and uh, check out Robot Butt and all that good stuff. And we will see you next time. Bye. Here's a story 
Of a lovely lady 